You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay, and I won't be talking for long in this episode because I'm going to hand it over to the good folks at the Collected Comics Library Podcast. They are doing a a segment for me here about the Punisher Marvel Max series, something that personally I'm not going to cover here on the podcast, so it's great that someone else wants to. Uh, These are episodes that are playing over on their podcast, and they have graciously allowed us to replay them here on the Epic Marvel podcast feed. So um, please check out their podcast if you want more great content from them. And otherwise, uh, I'm going to just hand it right over to them and enjoy. This is uh, Punisher Max, episode one in the beginning. Have fun. Hey everybody, welcome to the Collective Comics Library. I'm your host, Chris Marshall. And I'm Andrew Tom. Hey Andy, how you doing? I'm good, Chris. How are you tonight? I am good. We are back with a special edition of the CCL where we are going over every single issue of Punisher Max. So a few weeks ago we did uh, the Born uh, with Garth Ennis and now we're going to continue tonight with In the Beginning, which is Punisher 1 through six. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I had forgotten how good this is, and uh, I'm excited to go over it with you because that was a lot of fun last time we did it. So it's going to yeah. be more fun, too. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So these came out originally in 2004, which, you know what? I have not read these uh, since 2004 when it came out in single issues. Uh, so I sat down over the weekend, and um, and I got these out and started to read them, and Man, it really took me back because you know you remember all this, uh, but I remember Marvel Max and um, and Punisher Max in bits and pieces, and sure enough, a lot of this came flooding back to me. Like, oh, I remember that scene. I remember that scene because these scenes are so graphic and um, and so memorable uh, that you know it's like, oh man, this is just it's just wild and crazy stuff going on for sure. So yeah, it's definitely. It's definitely graphic. I mean, we yeah. talked about Born was uh, a few weeks ago, and th- that was graphic already. But the work that Leandro Fernandez does in this is you know, just as graphic as the stuff that Derek Robertson was doing. Yeah, and, and uh, I want to talk to you about his style and what what a little bit different between this and the and the Born series. But uh, before we get into it. Um, this episode uh, will also be run on the Epic Marvel podcast feed, uh, so look for it there if you subscribe to that show over there. Uh, and so without further ado, Andy, let, let's let dive into uh, 
in the beginning, shall we? Where do you want to start yeah. with this? Uh, well, before we get started, I do want to point out too, one of our slackers uh, is Eric Helwig, who is one of the owners of Calabunga Comics. Yep. Eric knows we're doing these uh, Punisher Max episodes. And we I was talking to him through our Slack channel the other day, through some private messages. And Eric uh, is going to help out all of our listeners by offering a special through Cowabunga Comics. And you can get on their website and find it. He is offering Punisher Max Volume 1 by Garth Ennis for a measly $19 shipped to your house. So if you want to pick up this volume that entails this story we're going to talk about today, you can get that for 19 bucks shipped. And Eric will send it to you from Cowabunga Comics. Also, he's got a deal where you can get all four of the Garth Ennis Punisher Max trades that he's got, and he'll ship all four of those to you for 80 bucks, which is a heck of a deal, and you'll be able to follow along right with us. That's so. a great deal. That's a really good deal. Thank you, Eric, so much. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a that's definitely a great deal. And, I mean, we've got a great community over on our Slack channel, and, and Eric wants to help out and wants to help spread the word and let everybody enjoy some Punisher Max. So thank you, Eric. That is fantastic. Yeah, very cool. So how did you uh, read this, uh, Andy? What what format? Did, there's a lot of formats with this. So we can get the single issues, a trade. Um, we got the extra size hardcover. We got the omnibus. How did you read this? And how are you going to read it going forward, you think? Well, I, I already own. What's funny, when, back when you introduced me to Punisher, I mean, I, was always, I knew who the Punisher was when I was a kid growing up because I read Frank Miller's Daredevil and I knew who he was through there. But I never really read Punisher. And, and then... After we became friends and, and I knew you were a big Punisher guy, you said, oh, you got to try that Punisher Max stuff. So I bought, uh, back when uh, DCBS had their storefront here in Fort Wayne, I bought the first uh, deluxe hardcover, which collected in the beginning, and Kitchen Irish, which is the second trade paperback work, yep. worth. And these are these deluxe hardcovers. They're a little bit oversized. They're really nice hardcovers, DC, or not DC, but Marvel was putting out at the time. And they did this with many titles. They did it with Ultimate Spider-Man, and and I know they did Astonishing X-Men and a lot of other things. But this is a really nice format. Uh, they are out of print, but I am fortunate enough to have, I believe, five of the six of them that they have. I think the sixth actually collects the Dwayne Swarzynski run. Uh, but that's how I'm reading it, Chris. Uh, so when we do uh, Kitchen Irish next time, I will be digging into the very same book I read in the beginning from. Now, it is Born in that hardcover too? No, it is not. Uh, Born I own in trade paperback. I found Got it at Half Price Books. For some reason, I thought Born was in volume one. Um, I don't know if uh, Born had been printed yet when these yeah. deluxe hardcovers I have were printed. Um, if you saw the spine on this, you'd know exactly how old this was and exactly where it came from. <laughs> they all look the same. And there was a time when that was the standard, standard trade dress that Marvel was using. Yeah. Black spine, block letters, had a Marvel logo in the very top edge of the spine and a volume one at the bottom. Yep. Very simplistic design. Um, and they did a lot of these deluxe hardcovers, which were really just collecting two trade paperbacks worth. They don't right. really have any... Right bonus material in them that are, I mean, there's a little bit, but not a tremendous amount for what you'd expect in a deluxe hardcover. I think this particular one just has some uh, penciled pages and inks and colors just so you can see the progression of, yeah. Like for example, it has a layout, pencils, inks, and then colors. Uh, it doesn't really say anything. It just shows it. Yeah. I've got, um, 
the omnibus. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the same pencils are in the back uh, of my book that are reprinted in yours. So um, I also have the the single issues, um, but I have the big uh, Punisher Max omnibus, only volume one. I don't have volume two or any other ones. Um, and uh, I also have a, a copies digitally. So that was kind of nice that I've got uh, digital copies and I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> uh, please, for, by the way, please forgive the barking dogs. Uh, there is a young gentleman here to collect my daughter to take her for ice cream. Oh, excellent. So, um, yeah, they are barking to let me know there is a, a miscreant Something's outside going on. collecting yeah. Maddie. Yeah. So <laughs> it should be quiet real quick. All righty. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely get into it. So I'll let you start off, Chris. So, uh, since we've saw born, uh, we now come to in the beginning and page one of this really hits home. Uh, you, you see a gravestone um, of the castle family of Maria and Lisa and Frank all die in 1976. So keep in mind that the max series takes place in real time. So while this is uh, taking place in uh, 2004, um, his family died in 1976 and so it is nearly 30 years uh, actually it's um what 28 years later uh that uh that the massacre in central park has taken place and frank is visiting the the graves of um of his family on the anniversary uh which he does every year so it's just really really uh sad and um so frank is much older he's much more grizzled and that's the the punisher we get in this entire series going forward is this older um uh i guess um you know veteran uh his war has been going on for nearly 30 years i think they said andy that he killed upwards of 800 people by by now probably even more uh, that's just by the count that they have he could have uh, thousands more um for sure and you know they kind of go over his uh, the day in central park and kind of where he is now and uh really the the war goes on and while the war goes on uh he is met um he is being of course tailed by the cia and, and the feds uh that is something that really has not changed whether it's in this universe or the 616 universe uh the cops are always kind of on his tail for sure yeah uh one thing i wanted to ask you chris i mean this is obviously later in his life he's you know what she's in his 50s at this point in this yeah in this 50s series yeah are we to assume, and maybe, I don't know, this is really the first Max title, right, if I'm not mistaken? I think or there is a them. few others, but yeah, but yeah, this is pretty much the, the, the biggest one, yeah. So here's what I'm wondering, is was this originally intended to be the 616 Punisher, just like kind of at the end of his career, I mean, after our standard continuity? Well, it's or is interesting it supposed be, to be in a different universe? It's kind of different because Ennis started out in the Marvel Knights universe, too. And um, so there's some debate whether or not the Marvel Knights Garth Ennis is the Marvel Max Garth Ennis. Uh, and really, uh, it is not. So that that we need to put that separate, like that Garth Ennis did the 616 Marvel Knights and he also did the Max. And they are two separate characters. There are some elements in this, uh, in my research that I found, there are some elements in the 616 uh, that do kind of cross over. Like, for example, I found out that in one Captain America comic, uh, Cap mentions that um, 
Frank had been uh, part of the Valley Forge massacre. So that obviously took place in Bourne, which is not in the 616, yet 616 Cap referenced it. So there's like little things along the way that we're going to see that kind of cross over. But um, for the most part, no, this is completely different. Um, when we, you know, we will see our uh, more of 616 characters come into it. Kingpin comes into it a little later on. Electra comes into it as we're going to see. Um, but that's down the road. And uh, but uh, for the most part, no, this is there's no X-Men. There's no Fantastic Four. There's no nothing in here. This is this is purely on its own universe. Um, there is crossovers with uh, Nick Fury, though, as we're going to see. Uh, we kind of referenced that in Born. So some other series do cross over with uh, this series. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's pretty much standalone, you know. Okay. Uh, one more question before we go. I mean, I know Dwayne Swarzynski takes over uh, Punisher Max at one point, and later on we get Jason Aaron's Punisher Max. Uh, Aaron's is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. I I love the Swarzynski's. Tell you yeah. the truth. Um, but now that's those guys are are writing the same character as Garth Ennis is here though, right? That's, that's the same character. That's the same okay. character. Yeah. And all the little one shots and everything, those are all the same. So anything with Max in the title, that is this character but if there's if there's no if it's 616 punisher not the same guy not the same guy nope gotcha yep okay uh i one did thing i did put in here that there's the one punisher m&m uh one shot that we're going to talk about very much later on um i kind of throw that character in this uh marvel max um lineup too okay but that's that's a big tease for a long another day way down the road so. It's something I have not read, and I remember the day you bought that. So, yep, I think I was with you when you bought. <laughs> you were that. with me. I got a, yeah. I went back and forth on getting that. So that's that's another story. But yeah, that's fun. I'm glad I have that. So glad you do too. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I love about this book. I mean, you you mentioned uh, Leandro Fernandez's art and the differences yeah. with Derek Robertson. When he starts out, he starts out with these nice. Uh, the pages are just beautiful. I mean. Uh, and I don't know if it's between Leandro Fernandez or his colorist or however they did it, but the art team really lays out some nice looking pages. Uh, they do a really nice job of giving you that, that idea. I mean, we see Frank standing in front of the grave of his family, and then there's a few panels of just all black with some white lettering on it. Uh, but we see pictures of his children uh, as they've been massacred by the, the bad guys, obviously, the, the, the gangsters that shot them. But he, they do it in such a way, and they put like a haze over or some kind of effect on it that makes it clear that he's looking back into the past and he's remembering it. Right. Uh, and he does it in such broad pages, too. There's typically one image of each of his family members, his daughter, his son, his wife, that takes up you know, two-thirds of the page. And then there's another third of the page, which is just all text box, but it's all black with just stark, very minimal lettering on it. So it's very um grim and it, it's very i mean it, it really sets the perp i mean the feeling of his seclusion and how his life has changed and, and how he remembers this instance um i mean it really the storytelling is just tremendous and whether it's garthenis giving this guidance or leandro fernandez doing it i'm more likely to guess it's a lot of leandro fernandez mm -hmm. maybe some suggestion from garthenis because we later see um, in some of the series, 
some different artists and this kind of narrative is really only for if i remember right and i could be wrong but the only time i really remember it is in this story in the beginning of it mm-hmm. but yeah it's absolutely gorgeous when you open it up it has that feeling like if you remember the, the 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 flashbacks to his family with the the like the the haze or the effect they put on it reminds me very much of those kind of that kind of art that's just shot from pencils and colored on top of that kind of like what they did with the uh, wolverine origin miniseries yeah way back when yep uh and this is very similar in style to that yeah so you want to continue along with the story you want me to do it yeah so no yeah. uh we get basically frank leaves the cemetery he moves on he's going out into the night and there is some characters that we don't know where they're from we know they're from some kind of agency whether they're detectives or fbi people or some kind of other secret agent people but they're clearly someone that's trying to watch frank and try to catch him uh and two of these characters they're introduced and we kind of get to know them a little bit one of them uh is a character named o'brien and she is very she 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 opens up with some dialogue that you're thinking oh okay she's a little crass and yeah just a little bit well let's leave it at that what she yeah says. definitely Good leave Lord. it at that uh and then there's another guy he's kind of a nerdy type guy that doesn't know what to think of his partner uh and he seems a little bit out of his element as well but moving on from them they're tailing frank and trying to figure out what he's doing and they clearly have some kind of larger operation they're answering to because we see later a little bit later on that they're they're tapping into a um i don't know like a nasa satellite to watch this right kind of like what we see in like you know zero dark 30 and in, in films like that where they actually can see uh you know a, a strike on a, a terrorist base or something but they're watching frank strike this uh large estate where there's this huge gathering of mafioso type characters to celebrate the 100 year birthday of an old don basically yeah don massimo cesare yeah it's his 100th birthday and it's a who's who in the mob and they're there to pretty much celebrate this old guy he's so decrepit but they got to pay their respects to him he's not like a uh um you know a godfather this guy's got you know tubes running into him and he's drooling this guy's just a mess but um they got to pay their respects and Frank is there to pay his respects to, so to speak. So, <laughs> well, if you didn't know this was a Max book when you first started reading it, I mean, we see the stuff with Frank's family in the beginning. Yeah, it's a little gruesome, but it's not to where you're like, okay, this is Max. And the first thing we see is there are some guard dogs, and Frank d- dispatches the guard dog pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no action there, but you see Frank wiping off his giant Rambo knife and you see a dead dog laying there. Yeah. So this would not happen in normal 616. They would not be killing animals, but Frank takes care of this. This I'm assuming it's some kind of uh, probably a German Shepherd, which makes me sad because that's what I have. Uh, but yeah, he, he dispatches guard dogs pretty quickly and it doesn't take long for Frank to just walk right in the front door of this yeah. birthday party. And it's a shock to all these these gangsters that are in here and they're like what in the world's he doing here he raises his pistol and just puts a bullet in the old don's head yeah it's almost like frank has got a death wish himself just he doesn't care um this is if he makes it out alive he makes it out alive but this is this is almost it almost feels like this could be his last hit 
in a way. You know, this is everybody's here and I'm just going to wipe them all out and whatever happens, happens kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, f- I feel like that's the, the attitude that our Garth Ennis has given Frank. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's marching him in there and I don't think Frank cares whether he lives or die. Dies. No. I mean, he he's clearly set up a trap for these people because he just marches right back out of there. And then and he talks about they they're real, really caught off guard. And then he yeah. walks out. And by the time they gather their senses of what's happened, they come charging out after him. He's sitting on the other side of the yard with a machine gun. Yeah, it's almost like the way he walks away, you know, he's like, oh, if I get shot in the back of the head, if not, if I, if I make it to my gun, then these guys are really going down. But if I get shot, I get, it's not like he ran to his gun to go, you know, his big gun to, to get it. So, um, the, yeah, like you said, Andy, these guys are just totally surprised. He picks up his machine gun from behind the the stone wall where he was stashing it. And these guys come running out on the, on the back lawn and, and. Frank just lays waste to all of these guys. It's it's a pretty gruesome uh, two page spread for sure. You know, I think there's more than two pages here. That's yeah, more. Oh no, I mean it goes on. I mean, yeah, that's that's for sure. These guys are lying in the swimming pool, um, and uh, you know the way that Frank's dialogue is, he's just kind of making fun of them um, in a way. You know, they've been watching too many war movies. Um, you know, somebody tries to flank me and they no chance, of course. And Frank is just, you know, bullets are just pouring out of the gun. And uh, it's, you know, the art. I mean, Andy, talk about the art here. It's it's pretty gruesome. I mean, yeah, it's oh. if the swearing doesn't get you, the, the blood does for sure. You know? Oh, yeah. The the blood and guts. I mean, the swearing, <laughs> it is gruesome. It, it, it like, you know, I know we gushed about uh, the coloring in the last uh episode that we did but the coloring on this is gorgeous as well mm-hmm. now there's not as much um there's not as the coloring is not used as much as paul mounts did with born where he was using the color to you know with to draw out an emotion in the reader but this is just really done well where it's you know it's not that i'm, I'm he's going for realistic or anything here but he, everything is is bright it's saturated very nicely it, mm-hmm. it fits well with the storyline it gives you a nice sense that this is at night but there's still light from this party going on and as these these uh, mob guys get deeper into the into the woods where they're going after frank it gets darker and darker and then there's a high contrast obviously to all the explosions that i mean frank has a claymore and all kinds of other stuff set up so yeah, yeah i mean the, the art itself is in a, in a nice way it's done too is it's told in uh landscape style panels so it's almost like a widescreen presentation right. kind of like what brian hitch does a lot of the times when if you remember ultimates chris mm-hmm. uh, that was told it's in the same kind of style as that uh which lends itself to this really cinematic experience too right uh and by the Good time we get done yeah. yeah and by the time we get done with it i mean for, this is, you are clearly in between the cursing and everything else you are clearly in max territory by the end of the scene because there is intestines and brains all over the place with yeah. these guys uh really gruesome story and by the end of it uh frank's done and he <laughs> he gave him what he said 200 rounds by the time he was done with it to be sure yeah right? something like that yeah and they're being and we, watched by um on satellite by these uh agents basically that we that we know of so it's almost like it it was akin to me uh that one scene in patriot games when when harrison ford is watching from the satellite the the guys go in and they're busting everybody up um 
you know, from, yeah. the, from the satellite. Kind of the same thing here. Of course, this is a much clearer picture because it's a comic book and they want to, you know, you can even see the skull on Frank's chest, which is kind of nice for a satellite. Uh, but you kind of get the idea of what they're looking at uh, from high up above on their satellites. So, but they're watching them. They, they clearly have money. They clearly have technology. Um, and you wonder why they need him, um, why they're looking at Frank. Uh, so they they go on and as they, this this officer watching the satellite feed and you start seeing more of these you know these i don't want to call them fbi guys because they're not fbi guys but more of these agent characters yeah and you see the guy running the whole show right and now it's not just the nerd guy and the crass woman it's now these other people who are their bosses and there's some computer guys and we are introduced to an old punisher character that I was kind of shocked to see. I mean, I knew it from when I read this before, but I completely, I forgot. I knew he was in the series somewhere. Yeah. I'm just surprised to see him. Right. So just to reset, we've got, um, we've got O'Brien, the woman, uh, agent Roth, who is the nerdy guy. And this guy, Robert Bethel. Uh, and we come to find out they're in the CIA, but they're also touting uh, a guy they call fat boy. Uh, but fat boy actually, uh, not to give too much away early, but it's microchip, which is kind of cool. It's micro. So he is kind of, uh, I wouldn't, would you say he's running the operation or he's kind of, he's working with the CIA. The CIA kind of tapped him, uh, basically to locate Frank. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. I mean, and they reveal some more yeah. deeper into the series about, you know, his motivations and why he's there and why he's working with these guys to catch Frank. Um, but I, I wouldn't say he's running anything. I think he's just there as. You know, he's there as their, I don't know, their insider. They're stooge, basically. Yeah. 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 (laughs) They basically brought him on. Yeah. And whether they've blackmailed him or offered him a bunch of money or whatever. Yeah. But he's there just to give them an insight into what Frank's motivations are going to be. Yeah. To give them a way in with him. Right. And Micro said he had worked with Frank 10 years prior. or, Or for 10 years, I should say. He worked for him for 10 years. And he hasn't seen him in i think what eight years i think that is when they finally talk um, yeah, i think that was right yeah something like that they'll we'll get to that in a minute but basically that's that's the big reveal for issue one and you know what andy in reading these six issues this thing moves really fast there there is oh, yeah. really no time to really think i mean they go from from one book to the next to the next to the next it, it moves this is not a slow-paced Sandman universe. This this moves no. really fast. So oh, it's paced really well. That yeah. cinematic stuff I was talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, the way the panels are laid out make it really easy to read. Uh, it moves along really well. The pace is really really well done. Yeah, um, Garth Ennis just and he can move you from one set of dialogue and one scene to the other without missing a beat. I actually read this whole thing in one sitting. Oh, easily you could out. easily read this in one sitting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, all six issues just sitting there. I sat on the couch. Uh, I think it was Friday night. I think I texted you, so yeah. I'm reading it. I read it last and, night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just just blasted through it. It was I couldn't put it. Excuse me, I couldn't put it down. But uh, yeah, a great story. In fact, I'm glad I didn't buy this in issues because it would have drove me nuts waiting month. For oh, month can you imagine? Yeah, to get it. Yeah. Well, you didn't have to. Imagine I did, but that. I have no recollection of reading it. I have no, I, it's funny, you know, comic book reading. I remember reading it. I don't remember reading it and waiting for the next issue, you know, kind of thing. Cause I think back then, I think I just waited until that all came until it all, all, I had the story arc. And then I sat down and read it, you know, I may have like flipped through it, but as a single issue reader with the mind of a trade reader, 
I'll just wait till I get all six issues or five issues or four issues, and then I'll just read them all at once, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I actually was that way up until recently when I trimmed all my singles down to where I just have, because I, I would used to do that with my singles. I would wait until I had a, the whole story mm-hmm. and then I'd read the whole chunk. But I basically caught up in all that. I trimmed my singles down to just the Black Hammer titles and Hawkman. And I just, when I get them, I just read them immediately because I usually only have two books, right? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so uh, one thing I want to mention before we get too far is one thing that's really fantastic and noteworthy about this series and really kind of stands out is the Tim Bradstreet covers. I was going to ask you when we finish it up about that, about the Bradstreet, but if you want to talk about them now, go right ahead. Yeah. No, you can ask me later, but they're fantastic. Yeah. And I remember, I didn't know much about Punisher Max until you told me I should read it. And, but one thing I did know about Punisher Max is the covers were amazing Mm -hmm. and they always stood up, you know, stood out on the stand there were always images of them here and there. If I got on the internet and saw them, I was like, oh man, that's a Punisher Max cover. Yeah. They were just gorgeous. Um, issue two specifically, I'm looking at right now in my <laughs> uh, collected edition, is this image of Frank. You know, obviously someone's got the, the drop on him, standing there with his hands behind his head, but there are probably 30 or 40 red dots from laser sights on him. Oh, yeah. And, his, and he's standing up against a wall. And it's, it's an amazing image. I mean, really, I mean, a lot of times, most of his covers don't have anything to do with the story, but man, they made me want to buy that comic. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 No, that's just such a gorgeous cover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, issue two starts out and we see basically all these uh, mob guys and they are at the cemetery and I'm assuming they're at one of, if not several of the funerals of yeah. one of the, of all the people that got mowed down in, in Frank's massacre, I believe this specific one is that big uh, mafia, you know, that big Don mm-hmm. the mafioso guy that was a hundred years old. Uh, but, and they do mention these other mob guys do mention in here that they're going to be going to a lot more of these, obviously because of the, the big, you know, Punisher massacre on, on at the birthday party. Uh, as it goes a little further, we see one of the, you know, the, the cars, explode so there's an attack there i'm assuming from punisher as well they don't really reveal it other than showing punisher no that's from frank sitting nearby yeah, that's right yeah because <laughs> well, frank says he doesn't want to let up he says get him get him while they're not you know almost okay. like a prize fighter knock him you know, when he's when he looks like he's going down make sure they go down you know so element of surprise so frank um yeah when he says when you get the other guys on the ropes, you keep them there. And that's exactly what he does. So he gets a bazooka out and he, he nails them down. So, Yeah, I missed this. I was thinking that was like a car bomb at first. But now that I realize it, and they showed that picture of Frank another page later. Yeah, and a bazooka. <laughs> yeah, there's a bazooka sitting there. I was like, okay, yeah, he just, because Frank never came across to me as this guy. Kind of, That's why I wasn't sure it was Frank. Yeah. Is because I was thinking it was a car bomb was my first thought. And then, well, that's a standard mob tactic. And then, yeah. Now that I, you're right, I completely messed that up. Yep. <laughs> now that I'm seeing Frank there with the bazooka, I know exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, then there all these mob guys are running around like crazy. They're wondering what's going on, and they I'm assuming they assume it's the Punisher, and they are on a mission from this point on to go get him. Yep. And the next scene is a cut back to these agent guys, and they are trying to get more information on a microchip and. 
microchip does something kind of with that nerd guy we talked about earlier that was in the car. Yeah, with Roth. The, he's he's kind of playing tough cop with Micro, and Micro will have none of it, and just you know he just grabs him where he shouldn't, and uh, he basically <laughs> tells him you know this is way how it's going to be. So well, Frank it's, is, it's kind of straight it. out of like you'd see this straight out of like. Um, of a cop movie, like a bad cop movie, like a Steven Seagal movie, you know, like that's the kind of move you would, you know, guy grabs him in the nuts and eh, I'm not going to mess with you. You know, it's like, it's straight out of like a movie like that. So, well, this is, which is, that's the humor that, that Ennis has, you know? Right. But I thought it was weird because micro never came across, you know, cause I went back not too long ago, especially since you just did that episode with Curtis last year Yeah, for, I think it was capital punishment. Was that the first appearance of micro? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's micro. Yeah. Yeah, and in that story, he doesn't come across as a kind of character that would do something like this. But Ennis writes him as this tough guy, and maybe it's because at this point he spent a lot of time with Frank, right? Oh yeah, and he's he, he's had ten years of them. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. maybe he's learned to how to intimidate people. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, Micro and, in the six one six was always the happy go lucky nerdy guy. Um, you know, always kind of keeping Frank Ying. He was the yin to the yang kind of thing with Frank, you know, having that comic relief, uh, in a way, but here, you know, not so much. So it's comedy on a different level. <laughs> yeah. It looks like something out of a Tarantino. Film yes. Almost. It's comedy out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So micro intimidates this guy by grabbing his nuts and he basically tells him how things are, what the punishers really like and scares the crap out of this guy. Cause he's sweating and this guy can, Completely is a different character after this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> but there's a lot of, of the- there's a lot of dialogue in these pages. Uh, we basically get what five five pages of dialogue um, between all these the CIA guys and and Micro, and um, it pretty much says uh, they're going to go get them. Like tonight's the night they're going to go get Frank, the CIA guys, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, it's just an it's a weird scene. It's it's wild, and it basically sets the tone of what these characters are all about. And and it, it's this is an important scene, really, because yeah, the fact that Micro emasculates this guy and basically knocks him down a peg is important in a little bit, so we understand what this guy is really like. Because in the beginning, when this guy is kind of giving Micro calling him fat boy and this and that, you think he's a you know fairly tough you know, agent guy. Um, but by the time we get done with this scene, we're like, okay, this guy is a little bit out of his league. Right? Yeah, exactly. And if he comes across Frank, he's going to be in trouble. Uh, next scene we see is Frank is out on the street. And this is an important scene too, because it shows Frank's motivations that he's not really interested in all crime because he's hanging out basically here talking with the street walkers, with the hookers and all the prostitutes. And, but he's really not, he doesn't really care about them. He doesn't like the fact that they're being pushed into this business because they obviously see somebody he thinks is too old, but he's more interested with the people that are manipulating them. The, in this case, the pimps or whatever, yeah. and the drug pushers and in the, you know, the child slavers and whatnot. Uh, this is a, a lot more, a more, a lot more dialogue like we had before too. Um, and obviously Frank's had some kind of, you know, relationship with this one older prostitute where not relationship, but more a relationship where he, he knows her, she feeds him information. Um, and he kind of watches out for her obviously a little bit too. I think, you know, I had trouble with this scene when I first read it. 
um, last night, and I kind of was going over my notes today uh, and and rereading uh, the book. And the this three page spread really sets up Frank for his other missions that he has down the road. It's not just the mob, right? It's the little guy. It's the it's the the troubled teen, and we're gonna see this later on, which uh, how he puts uh, justice onto other people. And not just like I said, the the big uh, Don mafioso kind of guys. He he gets street level justice for a lot of these kids that have nobody to turn to. You know, almost like the A team in a way. You know, where can you go when you can't go anywhere? You go to the A team. You know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, Frank's their A team. Yeah, because that's a completely different motivation. Than completely different vengeance. motivation, right? And I'm yeah. glad I'm glad that Ennis has it in here because he's not just you know doing. Busting up mafia guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And the nice thing is, too, he he basically takes this pimp guy that's you know getting these fifteen year old girls or whatever, and you know putting them on the street. And he basically what he grabs him by the throat, throws him against the wall. Yeah, and, and basically gives the uh, the elder you know prostitute. A, wad of cash and says okay take that 15 year old girl put her on a bus back to poughkeepsie and get her out of here i think he kills her kills him did he kill him well he grabs him and he takes him back into that one room and then the next thing you know frank walks out and he doesn't so i got a feeling that he strangled him or or uh or cracked his neck or something like that oh i didn't even think about that yeah that's what i think i mean maybe he's lived but knowing frank he probably killed him yeah, I would think this Frank doesn't really have much mercy, so you're probably right. Right. But you know what's funny is he kills the 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 John, but you know, these there are three prostitutes by the side of a car and he's not doing anything to the guy inside the car. You know? Yeah. So which is kind of fun, you know, not funny, but a funny way of looking at it. You know, these girls can still go on making their living, they just don't have a John, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of funny, if you turn the page, Chris, you're yeah. going to see this scene here in a diner. This reminded, which is important because these are three, four mob guys. Yeah. And this reminds me very much. This scene reminds me of very much of the beginning of Reservoir Dogs when they're in the diner. To yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, And they're, and they really, th- in this scene, this is what, one, two, about four or five pages. Um. And it's also in this landscape style, even though it's a much more subtle scene. Uh, but it's these characters talking back and forth to each other, and you're learning who these characters are. I mean, one guy is a little bit higher up. One guy is like a—he looks like a, in the way he's drawn. He's like an like a, almost like a retired leg breaker type character. Yeah, and he's wearing this tracksuit, which is absurd and ridiculous. Yeah, uh, but he's supposed to be the tough guy, which I'm looking at him going. He doesn't look that tough to me, but maybe that's the point, right? Right, right. And then there's this other, you know, sheepish guy, and then there's this other guy who's also like a, a younger, um, like a hitman type character, and then there's the guy that's in charge, and they introduce these characters, and you're really seeing what they're like uh, to the point where the older, retired, tough guy thinks he's getting clam chowder and it's served and it's red, and he loses his mind, starts yelling at the waitress, makes her cry and everything because yeah. it's not white. Just yeah, so it's just that's uh Larry by Larry Barucci and Nikki Cavella and the two two goons are Ink and Pitsy, yeah. 
Yeah, and Pitsy's the one wearing the tracksuit, which he is. Yeah, it, it just kills me. He's wearing a tracksuit. Well, I like how how Ink the name, why his name is Ink, the one dude. Did you catch why his oh, name's yeah. Ink? Because he yeah, stabbed the guy yeah. with a pen. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> like there, there's more Garth Ennis humor for you right there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But you know, one other thing too, it's clear in these pages that Leandro Fernandez uh, was using life models to to base these characters on when you look at it, because they are, you know, a lot of times artists will fall into this trap of making a lot of these types of characters, especially these mafioso looking characters, making them all look the same. And he really did a nice job of, you know, going out of his way to say, okay, I'm going to use this guy here. Maybe he found a picture on the internet. Maybe he went to an old high school yearbook. I don't know, but maybe he went some way and found pictures of people and said, this is this guy. This is that guy. This is another guy. And some look, more generic than others too. I mean, Pitsy, to be honest, looks kind of like a generic version of Frank, right? Exactly. And yeah. So you're kind of like, and maybe that's intentional, but these other guys, they look like they're somebody that's pulled right out of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Could be. Yeah. And what's their motivation? They're like the surviving members. And so one, they could take over the whole mafia operation uh, because everybody's dead because Frank killed them all. So these guys can take over what's left and pick up the pieces, but they have to get rid of Frank because if they don't, Frank is going to find out who they are and Frank's going to kill them. So they've got motivation to kill Frank and take over the operation. Well, I think all of them almost have a different motivation, right? I think the boss guy, I can't remember what you said his name was. Um, uh, that's his motivation for sure. Larry, yeah, that's yeah, his motivation. That's his. Yeah. Pitsy is just, he just follows orders and mm -hmm. he just, he doesn't want somebody, you know, tougher than him around, right? He wants to prove himself. Right. He's like, you know what? I'm I'm the toughest guy who's ever been. There's some guy out there trying to make a name for himself. I'm not afraid of the Punisher. And this Ink guy is kind of like, I'm not really sure what to think of him. He doesn't really speak in it very much. He speaks a little bit in this scene, but you don't really see much from. Nah, him. No, he's just kind of a goon. Yeah. He's got the crazy eyes going. Yeah, he's just kind of a goon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if he was in a movie, he'd probably be played by Steve Buscemi or something, right? He's just kind of this creepy looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're really not sure what to think of him. And and then the other guy is this complete sheepish guy who's just really out of his league there. And you're like, why is this guy even in the mob? Right. Oh, he's like a George Costanza type. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. like, <laughs> he would be perfect. Just if sweating, it was George Costanza. You know, he's got the sweats and everything. Yeah. But move on to the next scene. We've got Frank. He's sitting in, it looks like his safe house or wherever it's at i mean it's not a house it's a yeah. basement or something uh but he's obviously cleaning his guns <laughs> getting ready for whatever he's got to do next uh then we see him out on the streets and he's going somewhere obviously but lo and behold the agents the cia agents that we've been talking about they're watching for him and they are on his tail right and so you've got you've got two groups of people you got the cia agents and then you've got this I guess for the lack of a better word, these reservoir dog goons you know, that are after Frank too. So you got two, two separate people and groups for different motivations going after him. And micro, uh, he gets out of the van because micro knows exactly where Frank's going to be. And when he kind of says his name, he says, Hey Frank. And Frank kind of hesitates a little bit. He's so surprised to see, first of all, he's probably surprised to hear his name. Second, he's surprised that his name is being said by microchip. You know, and he turns around and, and as as uh, Micro draws a gun on him and Frank draws his gun and Frank's a little late, which is very 
unorth, you know, uncharacteristics for uh, for Frank and Micro gets the drop on him for sure. So, yeah, it's you know, one thing that's really neat here about this too is that's that one panel where he yells Frank's name and Frank turns to look at him. Um, it's shaded so well. I mean, you don't, the light's only hitting Frank on the side that's looking towards. Mm-hmm. Like he's looking into the light at at micro so he's clearly not expecting it he wasn't you know he, he was looking down the street uh and the way the leandro fernandez draws him he, he's got tons of wrinkles and scars and a messed up nose i think i told you a long time ago whenever i try to draw the punisher i always try to draw him with a broken nose right because i can't imagine it's not been broken like 15 times <laughs> i mean that's the way leandro fernandez draws him he draws yeah. him with scars and you know swelled up eyes and i mean look at him he's messed up yeah i mean <laughs> he's just a boogered up guy so next shot next page as we go micro shoots frank yeah he gets and, like I said, yeah he gets to drop on him and then he kind of keeps going at him and the last the last panel the last page we see is frank or uh you know, Larry just laying in a good shotgun blast right to right to his chest or his head. We're not even sure what that's all about. So uh, that's that's a hell of a way to uh, cliffhanger right there. You know, you, you know, it's funny if this was the last page, in a, which the last page is microchip shooting Frank, which looks like in the face mm-hmm. while Frank's laying on the ground, but obscuring Frank's face is a fire hydrant. Right. Right. If this was in 616. Frank, there is no getting out of this, right? No, no. <laughs> None. But the fact that it's not, if you step back and look, I mean, and at this point when this was coming out, we didn't have this many Max books to be conditioned to think, oh, unless I'm seeing brains all over the place. Yeah. He's probably still alive. And in this case, that's exactly what it is. Uh, and you find out later that, well, I'm not going to get into that right now, but yeah. obviously you're not going to kill off the main character in issue two, right? Right, right. So, and that's the end of that issue. All right. Issue three. You want to move on with issue three? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next shot we've got is, or next page we've got is one of the guys. I'm thinking this guy is from the big massacre, right? He's one of the survivors. Yes. And he's one of the survivors. Yes. Yeah. And then these guys come in they're like, Hey, what's going on here? And they're having some kind of, I'm assuming this is some kind of, political maneuvering within the the organization well i think this is the guy this is the the so of all the guys left standing from the massacre Mm -hmm. and from the the cemetery massacre this guy's in charge so this is this is the guy in charge yeah big big jackie they're calling him um yeah so this is this is the the new don basically as it is yeah well uh, well at least until the end of the page yeah when pitsy walks in with a pillow and you pretty much know what happens by the time you turn the page they've cut and all you hear is this muffled sound of him being smothered from outside the hospital room. Right. Yep. And then moving on, this is really important. The next shot we see is from a TV and there's one of these other guys watching the TV from that's talking about the incident with the CIA guys that shot Frank on the street. And you see this old man giving an interview of what happened. He looked out his window. He saw him shooting and, and they pull him in the back of the van and they're, they're This old man becomes important later, right? He does. Yeah. Yeah. Basically this tells there's a witness. Um, and this tells everybody that, uh, 
Frank has been apprehended by the police, basically. Uh, but we know that is not to be true because we know that Microchip and these CIA guys are not the police. And we know that Frank's not dead. So um, there, there's a lot of things going on here that, you know, uh, misinformation, as you have it, was going on. Because the, the, um, the, the, the mob guys don't believe it. And uh, so, you know, people are going to pretty much, and let's say see the body, no one is going to believe it. Right, Andy? I mean, that's, that's oh, pretty yeah. much it. So, yeah, that's the case. And, you know, these guys, the immediately, the immediate assumption is that the police got him. Yeah. But like I said, we know that he was arrested last night. Yeah. He was arrested. Yeah. Yeah. But the mob guys have no idea who's got him, but they know somebody has. So they've got to figure this out. And the only lead they have is this old man they saw on TV. Yeah. So next shot page we've come to is a giant splash page of Frank sitting in an interrogation room with a big light behind his head and his, he's all messed up. I mean, he's, he's been messed up the whole thing. I mean, he's been messed up for years at this point, but his hair is a mess. He's got scars all over him from being shot and come to find out that microchip shot him with some, some kind of stun round and just incapacitated him to him at that point. Uh, Frank is surprised he did that and microchip sits down with him to talk. Yeah, and there's a lot of dialogue going on. And this is, you know, I don't I I don't like dialogue a whole lot when it goes on and on and on, but this is like a chess game going on between Microchip and um and Frank. And it kind of you know, you hear a little bit more about their history together and it's it's really kind of cool to see these characters go back and forth and their mind games and and what's going on cuz Frank doesn't say a whole lot, uh but he doesn't need to say a whole lot as you know. So, no. And during the course of this, you know, interrogation, microchips going through with him, which to be honest, I'm kind of surprised that that these people let microchip go in there. Maybe they think he could get something out of Frank. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Because Frank's not going to talk to anybody else. Right. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. But they're, they're cutting to these, these agents that are outside of this room and you're seeing more dialogue with them and you're seeing more of their relationship develop. And you see them watching the same old man that was being interviewed by the news. That was the witness. And now they're thinking the same thing that the mob guys are thinking, all right, we need to go find this guy. We got to shut him up. Yeah. Yep. Right. So they decide who they're going to, who's going to go. And the guy that's in charge decides they're going to send Roth out there. Right. Yes. Yep. And of course he doesn't want to go. No, he doesn't want to go. And he's he's not the tough guy that he claims to be either, that we know, you know, so. No. And then we go back and we're back in the interrogation room. Microchip puts out Frank's kit, pictures of Frank's family. And Frank but, looks at him. And, before you get to the, the family part. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's a really interesting uh, point where they, they kind of point to Bourne. And there's just one panel and uh so obviously microchip's been doing his homework on frank the past few years and micro says to um to uh to frank he says maybe it was all in you all along but i believe you got a taste for taste for it in vietnam i know all about that scout sniper work on your second tour i know something happened on your third so andy going back to born we know that the third tour was born, and we know that the second tour was the 
um, crossover where he appeared with Nick Fury, right? Okay. We talked about that. So yeah. interesting that there's no talk about the first tour here either, because the first tour um, nobody even knew about. That that was the platoon. That that was the miniseries of the platoon. Okay, that was the first one. That was yeah. The first series. The the first tour is the platoon. The second tour, just to recap for our audience, is the Nick's, Nick Fury uh, appearance. Um, and with Frank's appearance in the Nick Fury book, My War Gone By. Um, and then the third tour was Born. Yep. So that's all I just wanted to say for the audience to, to kind of no, catch them up. I think that's rather important because if, if you were to read this, um, you know, you wouldn't like what second tour, you know, like what the hell is a second tour? This is way back in 2004 when we know the platoon just came out a couple of years ago or the, I mean the Nick Fury, but we didn't even know if that was the first tour or the second tour or a fourth tour or whatever. We didn't know really where that was. So Anna Ennis has been very cryptic about the whole Vietnam thing. He can, he, if he wanted to, he could go back and do a few more Vietnam stories. You know, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's oh, I plenty. I think he could of, do a lot of Vietnam. There's plenty, he could do a whole series. On he that could do a whole series on it. Absolutely, there's plenty of of material for that. Yeah. So. Uh, during the course of this, we see some flashbacks back to those mob guys again, and they're hanging out in a pool hall at one point, and you you really are starting to see they're basically explaining each other the history of these two um, these two hitman guys. These these uh, the um, what's his name? Ink was that his name again? I can't remember. And Pitsy. Pitsy, yeah. Yeah. And then Pitsy at one point, some a woman playing pool next to him bumps him. He's about ready to smack her with a cue until he gets stopped. Yeah. But I mean, he is clearly a volatile human being. Yeah. But they're really setting <laughs> up for us. Okay, these guys are are dangerous guys. And yeah, they, they're not they're not all there. So <laughs> no, they're not all there either. No. Uh and then, like you said, uh, we see microchip put out these pictures of Frank's family. And just trying to get something out of them, trying to get him to, to talk to them. There is one panel in specific of Frank's face. And I mean, everything's shadow except for a little bit of light on Frank's face. And he looks exactly like Clint Eastwood in Grand Torino. He does. That's straight out of Clint Eastwood right there. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at that. I was like, wow. <laughs> that is crazy. But I uh, thought it was raining in this scene, scene too. You know, I don't know what I kind of lighting that is. That is. Uh, I took that as uh, grainy from like a camera foot from like a closed circuit camera or something. Oh, got it. Okay, that That's could be. What it. I took that as. Oh, I, I mean, see. Maybe just be a, a mood thing. Yeah, a different look, but that's kind of how I took it. Okay. So yeah, Roth goes to get this old guy to. I don't know if he wants to uh, shut him up or get a real statement or telling him, you know, that he's wrong or anything like there. But when the CIA guy Roth goes to visit this old man, um, the mob guys are right there with him. And actually they kind of apprehend Roth um, and kind of take him down. And um, one thing leads to another, Andy, and they pretty much, um, oh, they don't mention it yet. So I'll, I'll hold no, off. It's not yet. Um, but, but, but they, they capture him basically. Um, yeah. And they basically just, they torture him for information about yes. who these people are that have Frank, right? Yeah, exactly. Because they obviously want, okay, we, we want to kill this guy. We need to kill the Punisher. This guy knows where he is, so we're just going to do whatever we, we don't care about this guy. We're just going to get the information out yep. of him so we can so we can do it. And they're using standard mob guy intimidation techniques. Uh, so, yeah, so um, moving on to the last scene, we kind of get microchips motivation and, 
they really want um they they really microchip kind of teases that uh they want to offer Frank a deal um which I thought was kind of interesting and you're kind of left on the cliffhanger of what this deal actually is um microchip says um that's why I think you're going to listen to me Frank when I offer you a way to leave the punisher behind forever and uh those are mighty big words for sure so um and then you know it kind of Andy it kind of flows right into issue 4 uh, they continue their chat, and Microchip lays lays out this deal to Frank um, to give up his uh, his Punisher ways to become an agent, basically for the CIA, and to become a basically a hitman and a goon for the CIA. Uh, and he says, "Why would you quit going after criminals? Why don't you go after the big guns like a Bin Laden?" Which is kind of interesting because Bin Laden at this point was still. Um, alive in 2004 you know after the world trade center so that was very timely of of him to say something like this which is very interesting so oh sure and and he's offering to team up with frank too so yes yeah part of microchip's motivation for joining up with these cia guys is you know he may be lost at this point and okay i want i i want i want my life to mean something and I want to join Frank's war again. And this is a way for me to go back to doing it. I'll be paid well. Yeah. I'll be given an unlimited budget. And Frank, I'll, you know, I won't be doing the dangerous work. Frank will be doing that. Yeah. But he can be part of this. And I think he's trying to find meaning in his life. And that's part of the reason he's, 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 you know, fi- now find out why he's involved with these people, basically. Yeah, exactly. And then we uh, get into the next scene, and we're back to the mob guys again, and they're in the car, but Roth is now missing. We do see a shot of some feet outside <laughs> of the car, but um, Roth is missing. They're talking, and the sheepish guy who's driving the car has to pull over because he has to vomit because of what they did to this poor guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, they don't really tell you anything, and but he keeps throwing. He throws up again, and as they're talking about what's you know, what's going on and every little, you know, verbiage of, of anything is making this guy queasy. Uh, and this guy clearly cannot handle the mob life. Yeah. And then we go back to Frank and microchips trying to talk him into it basically and explaining who Bethel and the CIA team guys are. Yeah. And basically Frank just tells him to F off. He'll want nothing to do with it. So he just kind of lays it out, which no surprise that Frank would say that. But boy, that panel of Frank's face is just, just that is so beat up and just scarred and just a mess. So it looks like he got his face into a meat grinder or something like that. It is just awful. So Or shot in the face with a stun round from a shotgun. Yeah, exactly. It's just, <laughs> just beat up, man. Um, but the mob guys, they get their information out of Roth and they've kind of regrouped um, at a hotel and... They know exactly where the CIA is keeping Frank, um, and they decide to uh, say, let's go whack the Punisher. So they are off and running, and um, that was a real quick one-page one scene with those guys, but they are ready to go and uh, get the Punisher and, and get on with uh, getting on. And then we go to a and- more, more dialogue with – it, it kind of just goes back and forth uh, between that and – the, the continued dialogue with Frank and and um, and uh, Larry or, or not Larry Larry Lieberman yeah right um, <laughs> Lieberman Lieberman yeah not Larry but, Lieberman uh, I'm thinking of Larry Lieber 
<laughs> you said Larry earlier. I did. I That's what I'm going. thinking. That's what I'm thinking Larry Lieber. But, you know, if the neat thing, too, is that there's really three different scenes going on at the same time. There is. He keeps bouncing back and forth between you get the mob guys, you got the CIA guys, and you got Frank and Microchip. And this is going on for almost a couple issues here. Uh, and then they, when they go back to the CIA guys, you're seeing O'Brien, and she's not at the old man's place again. And she's showing a picture of Roth because now he's missing and the CIA guys find Okay. You got to go find Ross. They send O'Brien out to go find, find him. Who's the crass woman. And she comes across the old man. He's like, well, I remember him. And some guys came in and got him and, and uh, took him away. And he looks down the hall and stumbling down the hall is Roth. Yeah. And they kind of, they castrated him, which is, Oh, and he's got a cup in his other hand. It's like, oh man, don't show me what's in the cup, man. You know. Yeah. Oh, then of course she shoves it in his face. Yeah. Or he shoves it in her face. Oh. Awful. And he's bleeding to death. Oh, just awful. Oh. And this is one thing that's important too. Is the next scene you see her calling Bethel on a phone, and she's lets him know that she's taken, she's found Roth, and she's taken him to the hospital. But he didn't care about him. No. No, he could care less. So you're really starting to figure out, okay, this guy is a real scumbag. Yeah. And he's got some other motivations besides what you think they're doing. You know, the noble thing of working for the CIA, trying to get him to be a, you know, a soldier for the United States or whatever. You know, something else is going on when he starts acting this way. Yeah. So this is kind of where I get confused. Okay. So O'Brien goes off to find Roth. And then Bethel is left behind, but then Bethel hires a squad of guys, of military guys, to go attack the Punisher. And they're going to go up the wherever they're at, at a hotel, and they're going to attack him. Bethel says, scramble Alpha Team now. Yes, Mr. Bethel. And they are going to go up the, uh, the elevator. And my question- They're not going after the Punisher, though, are they? I didn't get that. I th- who are they going I th- after? Well, I think after my understanding was after O'Brien gets off the phone with him, he knows that these mob guys, after you know, she gives him the information that Roth spilled. They spilled all these mob guys. So about where they are and that they have the Punisher and where he is, he's using this Alpha team as sec- they're already there for security. So he's telling them to scramble them to defend them. Oh, is that what they're doing? Okay. I thought that Alpha Team was going to go kill Frank, and I couldn't figure that. That's where I'm confused. Okay. No, my understanding was that they were already on site. To protect everybody. Oh, protection. Okay. Because they thought Frank was going to you know, be a problem. They had them on site as like security. Got it. To take down Frank in case he's a problem, because obviously he is a problem. Right. But now they're using them to scramble to protect them from these mob guys that are coming after them. Okay. That makes more sense. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's what, that's all I understood. Okay. I could be wrong though. And then do you want but to they go don't in- last too long? Yeah, you no, know, they don't. No, they kind of no, they um they uh they the mob guys know they're coming and um who is that? Pitsy. Um he cuts the ropes on the uh the cables on the elevator. And these guys all—I think that's ink, actually. Or ink, yeah, the ink. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, ink. Um, he cuts the con- the cables on the elevator, and all of Alpha Team just goes right down to the ground, and a big blood explosion in the elevator, which is pretty gross. So yeah, I'm I'm wondering if that's what it would really look like. I have—I wouldn't think so. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. 
I wouldn't have thought so, no. but I'll take it. I would think <laughs> there'd be a lot of broken bones. So yeah. 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 Okay. I'll go with that. Okay. Uh, and then do you want to go into this the, flashback story that, that, yeah, this Frank is really talks. cool. So for Frank me. finally talks, you know? Yeah. Cause he's been quiet the whole time and Micro's just been basically the one talking. Yeah. All Frank's really told him is no. And told, you yeah. Know, F told you and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Frank tells him, he, he, look, I had this other deal. Um, this is, this is a story. And he basically tells a story of after his family had been killed and Frank was still, you know, living the domestic life. And this neighbor guy comes over and he says, Hey, uh, I wanted to cheer you up. I brought you a drink. Um, and he starts talking and comes to find out this guy kind of just is like, he's trying to cheer Frank up, right? He's trying to be the, the friendly neighbor, you know? And he says, he's kind of a, a jerk and he he basically reveals to frank that yeah he basically cheated on his wife and threw his marriage away and and doesn't really care and it pisses frank off so frank tells him to run and he doesn't run and frank throws him out the well, window frank frank says you you left your family where mine got destroyed basically so and you're a you're a punk for doing that. You yeah, know, he says much. basically you you threw away, away yours like they were trash. Right. Which you know what? Which, and Frank comes to realize this later on that that was a dick move by him. Really, you know, because there's probably a lot more to this story as you and I have friends who have divorced and and everything like that. There's a lot more to this story than just a one panel layout of a guy cheating on his wife. There always is, right? We don't know a lot about what's going on. And um, we'll come back to this story a little bit later on. But Frank, I, I I got the sense that Frank kind of laments about it, you know. You know, but it's also interesting that you you see that Frank is really just a he's a very black and white individual, right? If it's something that Frank since Central respect, Park, yeah, yeah, I mean we, exactly, yeah, since Central Park, I mean if, if it's something that he thinks is, yeah. He, it's not that he just doesn't want to uh, not associate with the guy. He tells him to run and he doesn't run and he throws him out the window. <laughs> right. Well, he right. I feel bad. The other guy, what's his name? Um, um, it's just, the yeah. Marty I mean, or something? uh, what the heck is Bob Garrett, Bob Garrett. I mean, Bob, Bob Garrett. doesn't know what do you mean? Run. He's like, I'm just here to have a beer with you, man. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm, we both have like, there are two guys that both have problems. And I think what Bob wanted was just to have a conversation and just almost like, um, you know, uh, kind of give, just spill his guts to him because he doesn't have any friends to talk to. So he's not doing it for Frank. He's doing it for himself. He's very, it's very selfish in that aspect, you know. Oh, yeah. But he's trying to find a bro, right? right he's trying to find a bro, you know. He's like, hey, let's go hang out and, and have a beer and, you know, hey, I'll tell you my story. You tell me yours and let's, you know, you know, because he has no one else to go to. Well, he picked the wrong guy to go to. He should have gone right when he should have gone left, you know, kind of thing. You know, I mean, he just or gone down to the bar, you know, it's like, don't go to your friend's house with a crazy neighbor, you know. Yeah, Jeez, and I, feel, a, I feel bad for Bob, man. I really do, you know. <laughs> you do, but Bob and Frank aren't really friends. He's just a neighbor guy, right? Exactly. So, he probably borrowed his lawnmower one time. I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> And he goes in there thinking he's gonna pal up with Frank because now they're both single guys. Yeah, yeah. Frank is going to bend her. <laughs> yeah. 
so they get done telling that story and then they cut back to the to the scene in, in the hotel room where the mob guys are going up to confront the cia guys mob guys knock on the door to the room and i one of the assistants or something opens the door and pitsy shoots her in the face and blows half of her head oh off like God. it's a crack just day. awful yeah oh it's gruesome uh, it it's, it doesn't really have that much blood, but just the way it's drawn, it's like, wow. Yeah. That was over the Well, then in between all this, Frank, the only thing that he wants out of micro is where's the funding for this operation coming from? He says it twice. You know, where's the funding coming from? Where's the funding coming from? He just, you know, he knows something bad is going to happen. Um, you know, he's like, oh, it sounds like trouble. Where does, where does he get the funding? You know, it's like, you know, that's all he wants is he, who's, who's the bigger fish, right? That's that's what he that's all Frank wants to know. There's always a big yeah, he knows there's a scumbag behind it, right? Yeah, yep. Exactly. He definitely knows that. So the mob guys walk into this room where they've got the CIA operation going on, immediately shoot Bethel in the knees. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and go to the room where they're where Frank is being interrogated by Micro and bust down the door. Yep. What's the word, fat boy? Yep. And they they Bust them open. And you have a feeling that, you know, something's going to happen in, in issue five and issue six because we're kind of getting close to the end. So, and the funny thing is, Garth Ennis, I mean, how many issues is this now? Is this what, three issues, four issues? Yeah. But no, six issues. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the end of four. Oh, that's the end of four. Yeah. 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 That's the end of four. But at the end of every one of these issues, it's a cliffhanger that even though this is a series called Punisher Max and you know there are more issues. You think, how's Frank going to get out of this? How's he get, yeah, right. Every issue. Every time. Yeah. I mean, we should be conditioned to, to not worry about a character, but at the end of every one of these issues, I mean, Frank is sitting there chained to a chair. Yeah. Pitsy is standing there with a shotgun. The other guy is standing there with a, a pistol and ink is All these mob guys are here. They're, what's Frank going to do? Right. I, I had the next page and I'm still sitting there thinking when I'm sitting on the couch reading it. I don't know. How's he going to get out, get out of this? I mean, right. I have no idea. I think there's no way. But turn the page and we're in issue five. So how does he get out of it? Why don't you lead us through that? Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, the main... What is that guy's name again? I Larry. keep forgetting his name. Larry. So Larry, the main mob guy, uh, the one that's dressed to the nines, right? Yeah. He's got the nice Italian suit. Larry Barucci. Yeah, Larry immediately shoots microchip. <laughs> And walks up to Frank and puts his nickel-plated pistol right on Frank's forehead. So he goes and he's mouthing off to Frank and calling him some foul names. And right as he goes to shoot Frank, Frank kicks his forehead up and bites bites his finger. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't let go. And I'm like, and when I was reading this, I'm like, okay, that's 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 one way to get out of this yeah. right there. And at that point, O'Brien is back. Um, and she's now got a gun on the, the one sheepish guy who's now holding up a bunch of other people, uh, support characters. And then, then O'Brien starts mowing down, uh, bad guys and she shoots ink and Pitsy. Yes. Uh, with some kind of like automatic, uh, pistol looks like some kind of Uzi looks like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't really show it well enough to be able to tell what it is. Uh, but yeah, that's what it looks like. And at this point. Ink is, if I'm not mistaken, Ink's dead at this point. Is that right? He looks dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's got a lot of blood right there. But Pitsy is just well. No, Ink's got a grenade. He pulls out a grenade. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He does. I'm sorry. But uh, Pitsy's just been taken around in the shoulder. Uh, microchip's still alive. Uh, he throws the keys over to Frank, who's laying on on the floor. Uh, so you know, my you know Frank's going to get out of these chains. There's also a firefight going on between the CIA guys and the mob guys. Ink pulls out the grenade, and get, then he gets shot again. <laughs> And O'Brien gets shot by, uh, I think you said Larry. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, uh, another the grenade goes off. Uh, Pitsy, who's taken around, you know, he, they're calling for him and telling him to shoot O'Brien. Uh, and all of a sudden, Frank comes out of the room. Yeah, Frank's grabs free. Larry yeah. by the back of the head and just shoves his head right into Pitsy's face. And it's a full page. Uh, that media. that's awesome that but it, you can see like awesome. the, but i don't what kind of what kind of style is that when you show the force and it looks like you you see it and an act it's almost like the flash racing down the street right you see that that force oh. of um speed lines. speed is that a speed line is that what that is well kind of yeah. yeah i mean speed yeah. lines actually but you see frank is ripping this guy into another guy and just oh my god yeah this very much to me looks like a John Romita Jr. panel okay. or page. I mean, I can totally see John Romita Jr. drawing something like this, but it's gorgeous. I mean, just the, the style of, you know, John Jr. wasn't drawn this way until he started doing uh, Punisher Warzone. Yeah. And once he started doing that and this more violent stuff, especially with Kick-Ass, uh, this is the kind of page I, I, I would expect from a John Romita Jr. book. And it's a beautiful, I mean, it's, beautifully violent yeah that's <laughs> an amazing page uh it's the kind of page you'd want to own right right oh for sure great yeah page hanging on the wall in your in your man room or whatever you want to call yeah. it just so your mother-in-law uh, but, can come over and admire it you know? <laughs> exactly uh and, but the truth be told i'm not sure how it would look in black and white i'm sure it would look great but the colors on this are, are tremendous oh i think you got to keep the colors yeah yeah and there's a there's a lot of great ink work here there's a lot of dry brush going on looks great uh and of course the next pages are just frank kicking ass and he's beating the crap out of pitsy um frank's telling microchip to shoot him yep of course he catches frank in the arm when he's shooting at pitsy and uh, it's just a massacre at this point i mean not to the level of the first one where frank was mowing everybody down but it's just one of those old-fashioned you know john wick style firefights that's going on Right. Yeah, a lot of not too much dialogue from Frank. Just a lot of dialogue from the other characters going on. Just a lot of swearing and and uh, you know go get him and and all this kind of stuff. But um, Micro and Frank escape and they go to an old warehouse. Um, and I thought this going to an old warehouse was very reminiscent of the six one six Frank Castle. And that is that Frank always had these warehouses around outer New York City or in Jersey. Or in the you know in the waterfront or or somewhere like that these safe houses that Frank always had and this is an old safe house that that um, Micro had and uh, that's kind of where they go to to lie low for a little bit and regroup which was a, a nice little callback I think yeah and it's important to note too that a lot of these characters that have been shot like Pitsy and O'Brien, they are still alive. Yes. I mean, Microchip's still alive. I mean, there's a point where they're on their way to this warehouse, and Microchip pulls his shirt back, and Frank already knows he's got a vest on. Yeah. And he, he says, did one go through? And my, 
microchips like yeah and he's like is it bad he's like yeah <laughs> so you know they they let you know what's happening what kind of condition the characters are in but you don't overall know uh if they're going to live or die or, or whatnot so yeah and and looks like the um everybody's kind of regrouping too that the uh the cops are getting kind of wind of it because they went to the hotel massacre just recently and and they're talking to everybody um o'brien is fighting with uh the other uh policemen there um so they're kind of all it's almost like a regroup uh at this point where everybody needs to reassess where they're at you know frank needs to regroup the mob guys need to regroup the the cia and the cops need to regroup so it's kind of like the first part of this uh after the escape is that's all this is really is a a reset regroup uh part of the uh of the story um microchip and frank have a little more talking going on about what's going on um and we kind of find out the operation of what exactly is going on and who is funding it microchip microchip kind of spills his guts um as to uh who exactly is is uh not maybe not exactly but but what the operation is um and it has to deal with heroin and bringing back soldiers the heroin in body bags of fighters from uh, i believe it's afghanistan andy yep um yeah i think so that's that's where they're kind of doing it um and uh so that's they kind of want frank in on this whole operation so it's it's more than just what he said about setting up with bin laden he wants him to be more from what i took it andy he wants him to be muscle for this whole operation yeah but they were planning on keeping frank in the in the dark exactly right right so they were looking at using Frank and Frank would think he's been, you know, doing something noble when in truth he's working for drug dealers. Exactly. Right. Yep. He's turning into the very thing that he hates. Right. But it's, it's clear at this point that microchip is not going to last very long because he's in that pose, right? He's in that pose where he's leaning up against some boxes. He doesn't really move. He's bleeding all over his shirts open and Frank standing there with, with weapons as, as, you know, Frank's confessing all this stuff yeah. to him too. So this is almost like a deathbed confession for microchip. Yeah. Which this is kind of interesting because, um, Frank says something here, which is interesting. You know, he knows that the, the, the cops and everybody are going to be coming from him. Why? Because Frank realized that there's a bug in microchips phone, which, you know what, Andy, I, I found this to be, um, kind of weak because if anybody is going to, you know, wipe their phone right when they get it or check it out, it's microchip. You know, <laughs> so, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You know, you, you give microchip a phone, he's going to double and triple and quadruple check that phone. So this kind of makes me think that, and you know, maybe microchip knows exactly what's on his phone. And that's the untold thing we don't find out. I I could be totally wrong, but when it comes to electronics, no one's smarter than microchip. And, you know, that, I, I found that kind of disingenuous on Ennis's part, if that wasn't the case. I would agree that you know, I hadn't thought of it until you said yeah. it, but yeah, that is weak. It should have been microchip, you know, you know, it should have been opposite. It should have been should opposite, have been right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should have been him finding the the finding it on frank and maybe you know frank wouldn't would know that too yeah. but you know microchip shouldn't be falling for this though. yeah 
And in the meantime, by the way, while we're getting to this part, uh, Bethel is back. He's being patched up by all the medics and whatever. And he's going back out to get back into this and go after Frank and microchip. again. Yes. Yes. Yep. And as we get to the end of this issue, the very last part of the issue, basically Frank is, this is the one time up to this point, we haven't seen Frank in a precarious position where you don't know he's going to get out of it because at the last panel is Frank there with a great big machine gun about ready to go into war again. And you're like, oh yeah, this is the Punisher I want to see right yep. here. And that is the last panel before we go into issue six. That's a great, that would have been a great black and white right there. That would have been good. That would be a great page yep. down, yeah. For, uh, um, yeah, if you're original art collector. Yep. But issue six, are you ready? The conclusion of this. Yeah, lots of lots of fighting in this one. I don't have many notes on this one at all. This is pretty much just all out war. So I'll do a little trivia here for you, Chris. Being a Detroit guy, what kind of car is that on the first splash? That page? to me looks like a Cutlass Sierra. A Sierra, really? No, Cutlass Supreme. It's not even a. It's not even an Oldsmobile, man. That is a Buick Grand National. It is. That oh. a, yeah, that's either an '86 or an '87 Buick Grand National. Okay, well, Buick Olds. I'm in the GM family. You got to give me a little credit. <laughs> it's not a Ford. I'll tell you that. You. I know it's not a Ford. No, there. Actually, there was a Fox body Mustang that Ford uh, that Frank and Microchip drove to the warehouse okay. earlier. And then if you go to the next page, you get to see some cool stuff too. You see a whole bunch of classic cars. Yeah. Uh, that uh, looks like the mob guys were driving. Besides that Grand National, that's pretty funny. It uh, looks like a. I can't really tell what they are. They're, they're not really drawn super detailed and from far yeah. away, but they're pretty cool too. But uh, the CIA guys are converging on this place where they obviously they track microchip due to this weak um, plot device of the, the bug phone. <laughs> and uh, so we've got the, the mob guys and the CIA guys both going there. And after this uh, Grand National we see in the first page gets you know shot up by Frank and his machine gun who's on the roof. And they do show a shot of that, you know, shot up Grand National. Yeah. Uh, trunk pops and Pitsy comes rolling out of the trunk of that Grand National, which I don't know how he survived that shooting. <laughs> I would have thought one of those bullets would have been, I mean, obviously there's a lot of bullets went through the, that car. I would have thought something would have went through the back seat or something into Pitsy, but he survived it for some reason. And, uh, next Susie rolls out of there next shot we or the next page we see is in the warehouse we see microchip who's you know laying low because he's injured and he's watching for guys and up behind him is a knife and micro goes quiet and the next shot you see is pitsy and he's basically just gutted microchip mm. but micro is still not dead and pitsy goes after pump uh, frank who's on the roof and Pitsy's down below. And granted, remember, this is an old man. Well, they're both old men at this yeah. point. Frank's in his what how old do you think he is at this point? You said earlier how many years he passed. Uh he's gotta be around 54, late 55. 50s? Yeah. Okay. So Pitsy is clearly in his late 60s, I would assume. Probably. Yeah. But yeah, he's shooting at Frank, and it's basically Frank versus Pitsy. They're setting this fight up. And next page, you see uh, the CIA guys are back. Bethel's back with that sheepish guy. And I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, and there's some helicopters involved. And it's just, yeah, CIA guys, mob guys. It's a, everybody's going after Frank. And Frank, all he cares about is fighting Pitsy at this point, which is the fight we all wanted to see, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, 
that's what it is. And, you know, there's more shots of him looking like Clint Eastwood, too. It's just, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, just every other shot looks like it's Kurt Clint Eastwood with a Punisher uh, wife beater t-shirt on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's just one kind of fight after another. It's more bullets after another. Um, so like I said, I don't, I don't really have any notes on this, uh, comic, um, because it's just all a lot of fighting and a lot of gruesomeness. I guess the biggest thing is, is when, um, Pitsy comes after uh, Frank, and he's got a shard of glass in his hands, and he and Frank goes to stop it, and the shard of glass goes right through his hand, which is kind of gross. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of interesting, and that actually is a throwback, Andy. When the shard of glass mm-hmm. goes through his right hand, that is a throwback to one of the first scenes we see uh, in Central Park when Frank tried to stop the bullet going through Frank Jr. and the bullet went through his right hand. Oh. So that's kind of what I got out of that one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, One thing I want to mention here before we get to the end of this, uh, the CIA guys, they've got a helicopter there or something, and there's a point where Homeland Security is involved with this, and they're they're tagging along with these CIA guys, and somebody gets tossed out of the helicopter, and I have to assume it's the Homeland Security guy Mm -hmm. gets tossed out of there. So now you know that Bethel is bad right right he we knew he was bad because of what microchip he's told us, but now he's acted bad yeah. too so he tosses a guy out of there and then we go back to the fight with pitsy and frank frank ends up throwing after he gets stabbed through the hand and he gets stabbed again by pitsy i mean frank's been stabbed pretty good by this 60 year old man which you know it's funny we've read so many punisher stories in the 616 where he's you know fought guys like uh wolverine's kid and, oh yeah um uh, uh, Jigsaw and all these other characters. I mean, characters he has no business fighting, and it looks like he gets beat up more in this against this sixty-year-old man than exactly. Else. Yeah, but Frank throws well, even Barracuda. This we're going to see later on. You know, yeah. Oh, I can't wait! I love Barracuda. Uh, but Pitsy gets thrown out of the window, lands on the spike side of a fence. Yep. So, and it, and, and of course he's still. He's got spikes sticking out of him. He's, he's laying on this fence. And this is like diehard style, right? Oh, Frank yeah. jumps out of the window. Two story. Yeah, he's up there. Second the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. But drives him into the fence, goes to check on microchip. Uh, and then he tells him to hang on a little bit longer. And then, of course, there's more fighting between the CIA guys and the mob guys are all fighting with each other. Frank is trying to escape. And you know, at some point, the sheepish guy gets shot by Bethel, if I remember right. Yeah. Oh, because no, I'm sorry, that's not right. I can't remember the guy's name again. I forgot the, the head mob guy forces the sheepish guy out in, in front of Bethel, and he gets shot as he tries to escape. If I'm not, he does get shot. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. And then Nikki, Nikki basically then, escapes. He runs. Yeah. Okay. He runs, and then, like I said, just like Die Hard. Pitsy is now standing, cursing at Frank with half this fence stuck in him. And Frank just finishes him by shooting him in the face and blows. Yeah, that's pretty gruesome right there. I shouldn't say half his face away. Blows 80% of his face away. Everything from his top lip up is gone. Oh, that's really gross. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been fun to draw. Like, how do you draw that thing and, like, not have dinner? You know? I mean, you know, good Lord. I'll tell you something, Chris. It's 
it's not fun to draw that no stuff because there's no well it's because there's no um guidance for it you're just kind of laying lines yeah down yeah because you don't know what should be there right. i mean it's like drawing two-face right i mean I, i've drawn two-face a few times yeah. And every time I put a scar on, I'm like, does that look right? Does it not look right? What's it supposed to look yeah. like? But you don't really have any, unless you copy somebody else's work, right? you don't really have any kind of guidance. There's no model for that. So, yeah, that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> Nikki, of course, is shooting everybody left and right, trying to get out of there and escape. He shoots a couple cops. Um, and by the time this is all over, Frank walks back into the warehouse where microchip is. Well, we do, before you get there, we do get a rundown of where these other characters may be. And we do get, um, uh, Nicholas Cavilla, uh, uh, whereabouts unknown. So Nikki is still alive, uh, somewhere. Um, and, uh, but Larry, Larry is dead. Um, everybody is pretty much dead except for Nikki. Um, and he will come back, uh, at a later date for sure. Uh, but yeah, O'Brien stole and O'Brien's the, yeah, she, she's still alive. She plays a little bit of a part too, for sure. Um, we see her later. We do we? see her later. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, but yeah, why don't you lead us out with what happens to a, to microchip here and they're, they're uh, so well, Frank, so. Frank goes back in and, uh, he talks to microchip and, and he basically tells him that, uh, I, I think he's basically just. I feel like he's putting Frank down. He's, he's telling Frank that he, he's become uh, the very thing that he hates is what I get out mm-hmm. of it. Um, and Frank's really not having it, right? And and he says that he hasn't seen him in eight years. And you only got the drop on me because I was surprised to see you. And I don't try. Basically, tells me he doesn't trust him. And then. And he tells him, remember when he told uh, Bob Garrett to run? Yes. At some point, he tells Microchip to run, and Microchip doesn't do it. Right. And he tells him he should have done it. And then he asks him if he's going to beg, and then Frank shoots Microchip in the face and blows his head off. Yep. Pretty gruesome. I thought Microchip was going to live, but he does not. So, or at least, Which is the, fine. When I, remember I told you that some of the things I remember from this and some I don't. This one I clearly remember, um, you know, but leading up to it, you don't know if he's going to live or die, you know, just for that. But, um, but you know, when I turn the page and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember him blowing his head off. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty awful. So, well, this is clearly where they've set the standard of this is not the same 616 Frank. Cap. Exactly. Yes. Yep. <laughs> because you know, this would never happen in 616. No. But you know what? It's kind of a, um, you know, Frank says uh, somewhere along the lines that he will not join this crew because, and there's many reasons why he's not going to join the crew. But one of the reasons is that because this, the government sells M16s and he doesn't want to use anything like an M16, but he uses all these other guns. Like, why would that gun make a difference? Or, you know, why. I, I just didn't get that part. I thought that was kind of an interesting take. Like, just because the government sells it, I'm not going to use it. He's like, but you use a billion guns and knives and bazookas and everything. It's like, come on, man. You know? Yeah, that was I pretty, didn't really buy weak, that one either. So. But overall, this is a really solid story. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I Personally, I think I like uh, Born a little bit better. Yeah. I think it was a little bit better story. 
but this is a good way to kick kick off the main continuity of Punisher Max. Um, I would be, to be perfectly honest, I would be interested to see uh, him do a Punisher story taught, you know, in this, what, 18 years before this. Yeah. I don't want to say a year one, but a story that was when Frank was much younger in a Max style. Right. Yep. For sure. Yep. So there's all kinds of places they can still go with Punisher Max. Um, that I hope they do something. If, if they want to. And obviously Garth Ennis keeps going yeah, back. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, he keeps going back to, you know, he's doing Soviet right now. So there is a little bit more Max coming out. Um, there's another series after that that's going to be coming out. Uh, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see um, where we end up. But yeah, this is a this is a character that Frank could easily, or that Ennis could easily come back to. And um, I wonder if he has got, uh, and we'll kind of get into this when the other artists and writers take over, but this is this series is so associated with Ennis that I wonder if uh, Jason Aaron could could pick this up again, if he's allowed to pick it so. up. You know, I don't know what, but um, I mean, the Max line kind of seems to be done, um, for the most part. You know, Punisher is the only thing else that's coming out in in Max style. I guess. I guess uh, Nick Fury is, I guess, a little bit. But, um, you know, not much else is coming out. You know, no War Machine, no Black Bolt, no Inhumans Max or anything like that. So, Yeah, I, I wouldn't be... Let's put the, It depends on whether Disney thinks they can make money off yeah. of it, whether they'll do any with Jason Aaron or, or anybody for that matter. I think there are a lot of other artists, or I shouldn't say artists, a lot of other writers that would have a good take on the Punisher Max character. Yeah. But let's be honest... I mean, if Garth Ennis wants to do a Punisher Max story, they're going to let him do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, well, and they're keeping it's, the trades, you know, uh, in reprint. I mean, that's not going out anytime soon. So Marvel knows that that's a cash cow there. They're not stupid when it comes to the reprint rights. No, they are not. And I think it, um, Garth Ennis on Punisher is like Frank Miller on Daredevil. I mean, it's it's a guy who puts such a strong stamp on the character, whether it be Max or regular Punisher. Yep that you can't ignore it and you can't take that out of print for any kind of long period of time either. Yep. Um, yeah. There's a, uh, there's just so many he can, he has done with it. And even like Frank Miller on daredevil, you can get somebody like when Brian Michael Bendis came on, he took a lot of those Frank Miller aesthetics and then crafted his own story. I think there's also a lot of things that other art writers can do uh, with what Garth Ennis set up in Punisher Max. Mm-hmm two or or 616 for that matter but I, there's a lot of places you can go and there's a lot of untold stories in of this character and i, I would really like to see yep. it well a lot more of going to be coming up with that so um any final words on uh in the beginning andy uh like i said i think it was a pretty good story i like born a little bit yeah. better uh i like leandra fernandez on art a lot uh one thing about him um I feel like some of his uh, panels are better than others uh, when he has the ability to put like some kind of um, like a dry brush or something on it or whether it was him or whoever inked it. I don't know if he inked his own work and this. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Uh, I really like those panels, especially all the interrogation panels Mm -hmm. uh, between Frank and Mike. That was fantastic. But some of yeah, some of those, but some of the action panels seemed like they were a little rushed in some cases. And there were some, panels where he kind of skimped on the background a little Mm -hmm. bit but the Derek robertson stuff was so well rendered and so detailed that's the stuff i really like um 
like I said, I think Leandro Fernandez is a great artist, mm-hmm. but I, like I said, I feel like that there's some spots where he could have been a little bit stronger. Uh, his storytelling is really solid. He goes for that. We mentioned earlier, we go to that landscape style, that very cinematic feel, which is different than what we saw with the more classic look that Derek Robertson did. But I think we could, uh, it's, it's just a different storytelling aesthetic. I'm really looking forward to when we get to Goran Parlov, where we get yeah. kind of a combination of both. He's more cinematic, but also in a more classic sense as well. So uh, I, I like Fernandez. I think he's good. Um, I just like Derek Robertson a little better as well. I think, uh, yeah, I like Bourne a little bit better. Um, I think in the beginning uh, is definitely feels like the first few issues when when we know what's coming up later right uh for example uh the next story arc is kitchen irish then we move along to mother russia and those two really set the stage for what's coming down volume three that we're going to get to uh is punisher uh 31 through 36 is barracuda so we know a lot of really cool things are going to be coming up and this i'm i'm kind of glad we get in the beginning out of the way you know, because next we're going to get to Kitchen Irish um, when we do this again in June. Um, and that th- that series, that issues was so popular um, that, uh, you know, that is almost where this series takes off from. And as far as I'm concerned, um, it really it okay. really hits its right. Kitchen Irish, I'll, I'll just tease it out here, too, um, was so popular, they even mention it in the Punisher TV series, the Netflix TV series. So I thought that I was they're... a really cool little uh, touch um, in that. So, Yeah, I think I remember yeah. that, how you say yep. that. Very cool. What is your favorite Punisher Max story? Oh, I think it, it comes down to when Barracuda is introduced. I love that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. When, 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 but you know what? I got to say... Um, I love uh um uh much much call it. I love the Jason Aaron stuff. I okay. really do. That it gets and I like some of the um I don't know how you want to manage uh later on when we get to um the the one shots um cuz I don't think you own you don't own volume 6, right? I have volume 6. Oh, you do. Okay. That's the, that's the Dwayne Swarzynski stuff. Yeah, right? those are all the one shots that are in there. Until yeah, Tales of Punisher is in there and everything. Yeah, hold right. on a second. Let me know what's in volume six right there. I have this one. Okay. Is it, and that has uh, collecting Punisher 61 through 65. Uh, Punisher Frank Castle Max 66 through 74. Oh, uh, okay. Punisher Force, Force of Nature and Punisher Max... Special little black book. Ah, okay. Yep. Thing? That's volume six. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then my I've got my numbering wrong. Okay. Okay. Uh Greg Hurwitz. Uh it says Campbell. Do you have volume seven? There's a volume wait? There's a volume seven. That's what I'm asking you. I don't have a volume okay, seven. Okay, maybe not. Okay. Uh, no, Greg Hurwitz, Dwayne Trzinski, Victor Gishler. Um, those are the art, the writers in this. Okay. So. Okay. Well, that's cool. So that'll do it for this episode of the CCL. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever 
you get your podcasts. Andy, what's the final word? Uh, final word is Punisher Max is awesome, and you should go over to Calabunga Comics and order those uh, Punisher Max books that Eric so graciously put on sale for our listeners. And if you don't see it on the website, make sure you email him to get that special deal of getting all four trade paperbacks for 